As Christoph was saying, between now and Easter, we're coming back to, to Matthew again. And just out of interest, does anyone have their, their journals with them from last year? Well, you've got a week to rummage about and, and find them for next time. And can I just really encourage you to, to do that and to bring them along? It just really helps us as we prepare. It helps you as you listen, if we've got a way to engage with the text. For instance, if you did have your journals with you, you could note down that Matthew 8 comes just after one of these big discourses in Matthew, the Sermon on the Mount. We looked at that in last year's sermon series where we saw Jesus presented as the new and better Moses and the kingdom message going out. And now we move into a narrative section that has this overarching idea of the kingdom coming with authority. And so it'll really help you in how you understand this series if you're able to, to remember these sections or remind yourself that, that what we are looking at is not a series of disconnected stories, but that this is a narrative section that is designed in a way to make a particular point. You see, Matthew is a really structured book, and the structure matters. It's not a chronological account of, of what Jesus did. It's a collection of, of various discourses where Jesus teaches about the kingdom, and then different narratives combined where we see the effects of the kingdom. And even in those narrative sections, different events are grouped together to tell us something specific about Jesus and about the kingdom. The narrative section that we're going to be looking at in this series is made up of, of three blocks of, of miracles designed to show that, that Jesus has power over all kinds of things, which points to this idea of the kingdom coming with authority. Now, we'll get into this later in the series, but, but if you're reading these chapters as big chunks, you will see that these blocks of, of miracles are broken up with teaching on discipleship. We've got the, the cost of following Jesus, the calling of Matthew to be a disciple, and then the famous passage about the harvest being plentiful, but the workers are few. And that structure should give us this sense in the wider book that, that seeing the kingdom coming and being discipled really go hand in hand. And that as the reader, seeing Jesus here, we should be challenged to think about our own response to him. That's, that's the wider context that we're looking at. Our verse this morning covers the, the first block of miracles in this section, which you, you've probably noted, all have to do with Jesus having authority over sickness. Okay, so with all that in mind, this idea the kingdom comes with authority and how that leads to us walking closer to Jesus, we're going to look at the text and try to answer the question that, that Matthew is really trying to force upon us. Who is this king? And can you follow him? Let's, let's dive in. Look with me to verse 1. Now, right at the start here, we get this geographical move. Can you see that? We're down from the mountain, but the crowd is still with us. And then in verse 2, we see this man come upon the scene. Now, this is really important for us in, in two ways, because of who he is, but also because of where Matthew places him in the narrative. You see, throughout the Bible, sin is portrayed as being infectious. It spreads. Death and sin are usually paired together, so we get laws in the Old Testament where God's people aren't to touch 
dead bodies. The idea being that the, the uncleanness of the dead body would spread onto the person and then make them unclean. And if you're unclean, you can't come into the presence of a holy God. In fact, it was so serious that lepers had to shout, unclean, unclean, to warn people to stay away from them so they wouldn't catch their uncleanness, so that the curse wouldn't spread. But this unclean man puts himself in the way of Jesus, and he kneels down, and he says, Lord. Take note. Matthew is showing us that this man views Jesus as a king, as someone with authority. And so he says, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Now, right away, we should note and we should realize that this leper has got the Sermon on the Mount. He knows that the kingdom of God has just been announced and that it is coming down the mountain with power. He's understood that Jesus can do this for him, that Jesus has authority over sickness. But his question is, is Jesus willing? He's asking, what kind of king will Jesus be? Others in the crowd would undoubtedly be upset that this man is in the way, that he's almost threatening Jesus. This is their great hope of a pure king. And he's been met with uncleanness, with corruption. As we say, mud sticks. And they might be worried that what this could do to the newly announced movement. Better by far if this man just wasn't there. Better by far if he was pushed away. But what happens here, if you read verse 3, is that Jesus reaches out and touches the man. And rather than the, the infection crawling up Jesus' arm and passing on the uncleanness, it's almost like the reverse happens. Life extends from Jesus and pushes back the creeping death. The man is healed. Rather than sin being imposed upon Jesus, Jesus imposes his authority over the sin and drives it out. He is willing. Circle that if you can, because it speaks to us as well. What kind of king is Jesus? A king who is able and willing to reach out to you and push back the darkness. Maybe you aren't a Christian here today and, and you're hearing this and wondering why we're all so pretty keen on Jesus. Well, the reason is that in Jesus we have met a king who's, who's willing to enter into our lives, to take our sin and guilt and to give us his holiness. Like the leper, we have realized that, that Jesus is God and that we are in desperate need of saving. Maybe you might feel your way that, self, you're, you're that way yourself, but you just aren't sure of where to find a Savior. Look here, look at who Jesus is and what he does. Up until verse 2, the world has just worked in a certain way. Rules as binding as gravity have held us under the power of dominion and sin. 
the infectious power of sin could not be contained. But somehow now we see a king come down from the mountain with an army at his back and old powers being defeated. The dominion of sin is pushed back. God reaches out and touches us. This miracle that that Matthew records shows us that the Messiah, the king that God had promised, has come. And just to make certain that we get that, verse 4 sees Jesus tell the man to honor the law. Just the kind of thing that a messianic king, not a political ruler, but a messianic king would do. So who the man is and what Jesus does points us to his authority over sickness, over uncleanness. It tells us what kind of king that Jesus is. But just as important for our wider theme here is where we find this story. You might want to note this down. None of the other gospels place this as Jesus' first miracle, which should make us think that its placement here is deliberate. Matthew makes us picture the scene, the kingdom announced, the army descends, and the enemy that it meets is uncleanness. It is a, a spreading sickness that keeps people from God. And the narrative that we get portrays Jesus as the kind of king who enters into the fight and pushes back sin and death. It's like Matthew here is giving us a, a theme or, or a title of how the kingdom is coming in power. It comes and it deals with the things that keep us away from God. Jesus is presented as, as the one who has authority to make a way for us to come to God. Think about it. Matthew could have chosen any number of other healings to put here. But he chooses leprosy because of its cultural connotations of excluding people from society and, more importantly, from the temple. Here is a man, this leper, who cannot come to God. Something inside him stops him from coming close to what his soul longs for. And then Jesus comes and takes that barrier away. Yes, there is physical healing, but what is shocking is that this is a man unable to come to God. And we see God come to him. We often say that Jesus saved us before we did anything to deserve it. And here is a picture of grace in action, of Jesus reaching out and bringing life. And maybe you need that this morning. Maybe you're questioning if you're, you're worth anything at all. Put yourself in front of Jesus and see what kind of king he is. Ask yourself, who is this king? Can you follow him? Can you follow him out of sin? We could spend a lot longer here, but, but Matthew marches on. Verse, verse 5 seems to have the narrative progress. The army moves further in, and then we meet another man who is sick, this time a Gentile. And notice that this is another person who couldn't come to God, who couldn't enter into the inner parts of the temple. He is a Roman servant, and his master comes again to the one that he realizes has authority. 
This master is himself a centurion, so he's a man of authority, but also one who knows what it's like to be under authority. And so here he comes, faced with the king of all, and he begs. Verse 8, just say the word. And we can almost hear the echo of that from before. You can do this, but are you willing? What kind of king is Jesus? We've seen that he pushes back the darkness and sin, but presumably that was for one of the Jewish nation who followed the law. Is he willing to, to reach out to someone who hasn't even tried to follow God before? Well, not only does Jesus heal the servant, showing Jesus' authority over sickness, but he says in verse 11 that many like him, many Gentiles, will come and take their place at the great feast in heaven. He elevates this Gentile above the ones who assumed that they were in the kingdom and says that this Gentile is going to eat at the table with Abraham. In John, Jesus says it like this, there are sheep that are not of this fold. There are members of the kingdom, God's people, who aren't part of ethnic Israel, who don't become part of God's people because of their background or culture, but because Jesus will reach out to them. And the Jewish people must be thinking, can he do this? Does he have the authority? Well, notice how Matthew also subtly builds his authority with a leper, he touches and speaks. Here, he doesn't even need to touch the man. A word from the one who spoke light into existence is enough to push back the darkness in this servant. Maybe you're here and thinking that you don't fit in, that you're not part of the crowd, that, that you don't know the lingo or you don't have a shirt as fancy as the preacher's. must be a genuine concern. But thankfully for me and for all of us, this king of ours, he doesn't look at the outside. He sees his people and he invites them in. To outsiders, this is a radical invitation to come. Come to us here. Be part of this. To those on the inside, it is a radical challenge to you to let grace so abound that in who we are that whoever comes through those doors sees the goodness of Jesus in our relationships. Now hear me, that is no small thing. It precludes any nominalism or, or Sunday morning Christianity. And so you need to ask yourself, who is this king? Can you follow him? Can you even follow him here into community? The final section of this group of three miracles showing Jesus' authority over sickness is even more brief. Peter's mother-in-law is lying with a fever and now without even a word, Jesus heals her. When you read this bit, it's, it's, it's almost like an aside. Yeah, of course, Jesus healed her. And the reason is because his authority over sickness is so great in our minds that by this point, it should almost be entirely normal that he would do this. 
If you look at that section there, you'll see it's wrapped up with verses 16 and 17. And notice firstly that that 16 starts with a time marker. When evening came. Now it's put there to sort of act, to to make this feel like, like a progression of just one day. The army descends from the mountain, moves in, and then takes residence. The kingdom has come. The king is here. And he has authority over the infirmities and diseases that keep people from God. Matthew places these events together to show us that the kingdom that was proclaimed in the mountaintop now comes to us in power. But the structure of this narrative as a whole doesn't allow us to just notice that fact in isolation. It's going to challenge us to think what that means for us. And if you're taking notes here, if you can do that, I want you to write this down somewhere. First, we have an unclean man who can't come to God. Then we have a Gentile who can't come to God. And now we have a woman who, at the time, could make moves to come to God, but, but couldn't come close, couldn't enter into the most sacred parts of the temple. And now we see the living God come into her bedroom and drive out the darkness. She is restored, just like the others, to her place in the new kingdom. We are all sick in the heart. We all have that creeping cancer of sin in us. But see here that Jesus is the great physician. What he does for this people, he offers to us a way to God. All of us are in the position of these people. And so Matthew wants us to ask ourselves, who is this king? Can we follow him? Can we follow him into a new life? One way that people respond to this challenge is is, is to miss this overarching point and to think that, that this means that Christians will never get sick or that God is always going to heal. And so when sickness comes, their hearts turn to bitterness. They think he's not willing. So he can't be good. And look, I'm, I'm not trying to guilt anyone here. We, we've all been there. We've all had times of trial that has just made us question the goodness of God. But we, we need to know why this isn't the right response to these passages so that we can protect our hearts for when things like sickness do come our way. And it all stems from how we answer our question. Who is the king? And how can we follow him? even when things seem dark. Because if we see Jesus as king, we will understand that that he has authority and not us. What does it say about us when we expect God to miraculously work for what we direct him to? It kind of says that we view the spirit like like a genie to grant us wishes and God as as a means to get what we actually want. But seeing Jesus as king means that we simply don't demand anything from him. We just follow. 
but also seeing what kind of king Jesus is means that we can trust him in those difficult times. We can trust him that he knows more than we do, that he sees more than we do, and that ultimately he chooses, if he chooses not to heal in any given situation, no matter how that may, might make us feel emotionally in the moment, in the scope of eternity, it is for our good. Seeing Jesus as king and seeing our king as Jesus may well mean walking through the valley of the shadow of death. But we'll not be walking there alone. It might mean that our circumstances aren't how we would like them. But still knowing that Jesus is king and that we are going to follow him. So can you follow Jesus through sickness? Can you accept his authority and the goodness of that, even when things around you seem to be going from bad to worse? That's why we admire our brothers and sisters in the persecuted church, isn't it? Because life looks really tough for them, but still they follow Jesus all the same. Did you know that 15 saints a day are killed around the world because they choose to follow Jesus, whatever comes. What kind of king do we have? Is he worth that? Is he worth following? Now, maybe you hear that and, and you'd like to say, yes, but honestly, you, you've, you've no idea how to cultivate that kind of relationship. And I'm not going to pretend now that I've, I've nailed five easy steps to a powerhouse faith. But what we can do is to look to God's word and see how this is modeled for us. Firstly, with a leper. Notice that he puts himself in the way of Jesus. He is putting himself in situations where he will see Jesus. How many of us complain of a dry and dusty faith but never put ourselves in a situation where we really need to depend on Jesus. We want to walk on water, but we don't want to step out of the boat. Cultivating a faith in Jesus is going to mean that we depend upon him, that we walk as he walked. So let me ask you, how much of your life resembles Jesus? That doesn't mean we go out and, and rush out and buy sandals, but it should make us con consider how we are living. Are you gracious to the outsider? Hospitable to the stranger? Are you brave in pro proclaiming the good news? And, and I can tell you a hand on the heart, I wrote that line and immediately felt like it was the Spirit convicting me. There are people all around us that don't know Jesus and we will need to depend upon God to share him with them. So will you? Will you follow Jesus' footsteps? Then we see the centurion. See how he submits to the authority of Jesus? So when you read the Bible, do, do you filter its commands through what you'll be willing to do and, and what you won't? Do you read its, its plain teaching on sexuality, marriage, finances, or responsibilities? 
but search desperately for some way to, to twist it to make it more palatable to what you already think? Or do you work hard to conform your own sensibilities to what it says? Look, everything in our culture tells us to try and be king, to, to recreate the grasping power of the garden. And so to counter that, we are going to need to spend time in the word, prioritize it, be clear on its teachings, and most of all, follow it. This week, I want to challenge you, try and note down any instructions that come up in your reading. So maybe you're reading James and, and it says, confess your sins to one another. Note that down and find a way to do it. I know it's awkward. I know it doesn't come naturally. But it is a way to transform our thinking. Will you submit to Jesus' authority? And the final example, Peter's mother-in-law. She doesn't seem to, to do anything in the passage. What we can take from this is that she benefits from the community around her so that when she is low, others can raise her up. Brothers and sisters, we need to be surrounded by good Christian community. Sheep don't do well on their own, and there are so many wolves about. Who do you have around you? Who is praying for you? Who can correct you, encourage you, disciple you? Who can give you the opportunity to disciple them, to lead them? Now, maybe you're here and you've got this sinking feeling as, as you try not to look around and, and just think, no one. I don't know anyone. If that's you, please don't leave here today alone because loneliness is not going to cultivate your faith. Even if you don't know anyone, there are discipleship groups that you can join, ways that you can connect in with others. Come speak to, to me or Christopher or some of the elders after the service if you want to do that. There have been so many times in my life that has been people around me that have picked me up and, and dusted me off when I've fallen or stopped me making a really stupid decision or have been the source of such rich blessing. God has given us the church for our spiritual development. So I'm going to ask you, will you come and be part of the flock? Will you help others follow him? It is these types of things, living by following Jesus' footsteps, submitting to the Bible, and getting into spiritual community that are going to cultivate our faith. These are the ways that God has given us to give us that relationship with him will let us step out of the boat. Let us experience real dependence upon Jesus. They give us opportunity to participate in the means of grace and be built up spiritually. So I suppose for us, it, it, it all comes down to this. Will you follow him? Will you see him as your king? Will you see him as worthy of your praise? The, the band are going to come back up now and, and we're going to sing about our living hope, about, he, about who he is and what he has done for us. But as we do that, what we're doing here is not just singing a song, 
but we are, are pointing one another to the kind of king that we have in Jesus. We are going to stir up our souls to look to that king who has come so that together and, and as individuals, we can leave here with our hearts set on following him. So if you hear this call, if you hear that challenge, I'm going to invite you to, to stand and sing with us now as we come together and praise our Lord. Let's sing. Thank you.